Welcome everyone to episode 171 of the Red Zone Restricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Jamie Barton and Dan Club as we share our ultimate Liverpool and Man City combined 11s. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So ahead of the huge Premier League game at the weekend, which pits the league leaders in Man City against the side in second, which is Liverpool, obviously, the, the internet is going to be awash with combined 11s. And unfortunately, we are going to be part of that, but we've put a slightly different spin on ours. We're going to pick our players, not just from this season, <laughs> but from the entire Klopp versus Guardiola years at Liverpool, which is obviously, um, I mean... They both were in the league from 2016, but we're going to go from 2017 when the rivalry really started. And hopefully we won't just name our 11s here. We'll also kind of in the process end up looking back on this sort of storied rivalry, which has been really the defining battle of, of this era in the Premier League. So what we're going to do is we're going to split it into into thirds, essentially. We're going to begin with our back fives, then we'll go into a midfield and obviously finishing with the forward line. Jamie, I'll let you go first, please, with your back five, and then we'll hear from Dan, and then we'll give mine, and then we'll obviously go into our choices in a bit more depth. Well, it's interesting that you've said back five because actually I'm going <clears> to <throat> excuse me, I'm going to rock the boat with a bit of a back six if you count the goalkeeper, uh, and this is born out of a desire to have both Trent and Walker in the team. So I'll, I'll read it for you now. So it's Allison in goal. I've got Trent as a kind of flying right wing back. I've got a centre-back three of Walker, Van Dijk and company. And I've got Andy Robertson as a kind of flying left-back. Interesting. He's departed from the, the sacred 4-3-3 for combined 11s. <laughs> um, throwing everything into chaos, but we'll make it work. Um, Dan, I'll come to you for yours now, please. Yeah, I could not part from the sacred 4-3-3 um, for combined 11s. Um, nor could I sit on the fence in the Walker-Trent-Alexander-Arnold debate um, and get both of them in there, shoehorn them both in like Jamie's done. Um, I've got Alisson, Trent, Vincent Company, Virgil van Dijk and Andy Robertson. So mine is quite similar to yours, Dan, but um, a slight difference in there. I've gone for Alisson in goal, Trent, Laporte, van Dijk, and Robertson as my back five. So obviously we've we've all got Allison, we've all got Trent, we've all got Van Dijk, we've all got Robertson. The, the area of disagreement is sort of that that other position really, um, with the other Liverpool players. I mean, you've got Walker and Trent in yours, Jamie. Um, uh, for me with Walker, he was a player that I sort of probably underrated for quite a long time, just from sort of the biased Liverpool fan perspective of. You know, you, you watch Walker, you watch Reese James, you watch Kieran Trippier, and you're like, you're looking for every single little chink in their armour to kind of build the Liverpool players up. But increasingly, as I've watched them over the years in these sort of big Man City games, I think I've come to realise that that was a bit of just sort of a childish warped viewpoint a little bit. And he is, let's face it, one of the best right-backs that there's been in the Premier League. Um, I, I personally went for Trent just on the basis that I think he has a bigger impact on winning than, than Walker does um, overall. But I, I think they're both sort of top-class players. So what what is it that made you want to sort of put both of them in the team and then sacrifice somebody further up the pitch on that basis? Yeah, it's interesting. I think I think you're probably right with, with Trent being a kind of someone who, who makes you more likely to win. But 
conversely, I think Walker makes you more likely to not lose, if that makes any sense. I think if you asked Guardiola, who the most important player of the last, well, the, the kind of time period we're speaking, he wouldn't get too far down the list before he would say Kyle Walker, I think. And I'm absolutely with you in terms of, for years, I thought he was a donkey. I remember him making a big mistake uh, for for um, Spurs in a 3-2, I think, at Anfield, where Vertonghen scored twice. And I think Stuart Downing might have scored, weirdly, uh, off, a, off a Carl Walker mistake. And that stuck in my, in, my, in my mind for years. But there is something that he brings to that City team where there are very few players when the team sheets come out on uh, Saturday morning where I will be more excited to see them not in the team than Kyle Walker. I think I'm not going to go on about his recovery pace, but it is huge. It is a huge kind of string to his bow. There's been so many moments in uh, our games with him over the years where I've thought we're in, I've thought Mane's in, I've thought whoever's in, and suddenly he comes from nowhere. I think he's probably the fastest defender in the league, maybe the, the maybe that there's ever been in the league, at least in terms of that top, top tier of, of the higher echelons of, of Premier League defenders. And so I, I have warped my team further forward for all of those qualities and more. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair enough. One player I haven't mentioned so far, and I think somebody um, slightly edgy might throw in on, on a technicality, is John Stones, obviously, who was playing as the sort of right back for City. I think when they didn't have the ball at times last season and carried out that role, which is very similar to what Trent was doing at Liverpool, um, exceptionally well. But I think it was always going to be Trent um, and or Walker, really, um, in the team, just on the base that they've been doing it for multiple years. Dan, in terms of the other position of sort of dispute, then, I mean, you've gone for, for company. Who else did you kind of consider for that role and why is it that you went with company in the end? Yeah, honestly, um, I only, I mean, Joel Matip came into my head at one point. He's been such a, a sort of solid performer for some time for Liverpool, sort of injury issues aside. I think were it not for the injury issues, he's probably a bigger contender for this, really. He's had a really impressive Premier League career, especially when you consider he was signed for free. Um, but from a Man City perspective, John Stones was definitely one. I think sort of the more recent, end of his career he's been absolutely outstanding for Manchester City I had question marks over him when he first made the move I don't think he really shone necessarily early days but again I think he's matured into a brilliant defender to be honest um, Ruben Diaz was the other one but I think a lot of the hype around Diaz was over the top at the time personally I don't think he was ever anywhere near sort of Virgil van Dijk level defender like he was getting made out to be and as such the hype has diminished when people have kind of worked it out for themselves a little bit over time. I think when he was first signed, everyone was like, wow, shiny new toy. And obviously Van Dijk wasn't quite at his levels and injured for a large part of that. So nobody could really compare. But yeah, I'd, realistically, no, none of them choices came close to Vincent Company for me. Um, because, you know, as much as it pains me to say it, given he was the architect of much of our not winning Premier League titles, um, certainly with that Leicester goal um, from absolutely nowhere, which was just heartbreaking in itself, of course. Um, although it was followed the day after by a certain game against Barcelona. But yeah, I think as a leader, as a defender, he was just 
absolutely integral to Manchester City for so, so many years. And like I say, he, without him, I mean, we all laud and rightly so Guardiola for his ability to to put together freakish winning runs at sort of the back end of the seasons. I think for a lot of that time, albeit he left in 2019, I think company was absolutely sort of the backbone, the linchpin of their success. So, and not only that, like I've just spoken about like his leadership qualities there. I think as a footballer, he was phenomenal as well. He was rock solid. I struggled to think of too many times you'd look at him and go, he's got an error in him or, you know, you might get a chance there. He just felt rock solid all the time to me. So, he was a bit of a no-brainer, I think. Like I say, I consider some others, but none of them really came close to, to ousting company. Do you know something? I still have never watched that company goal. I, I've, I've still, I've never seen it because I've always like hid it from from view, basically because it is just too. It's too p- painful. I think if if Kevin De Bruyne or somebody like that had scored it, then you're like, you know. Fair enough, almost, but it's the fact that it's a centre back doing that. Um, company, I think, is probably one of the, the top five um, Premier League centre backs ever. Um, the only reason I don't have him in this team is because I think when it got to this stage that we're talking about, that's when the injury started to kind of hit him a bit. Um, yeah, I think in that eighteen nineteen season in particular, like I know we played against Liverpool in that in that crucial game around the January, but I think he was missing a lot of matches and kind of felt like it was just a constant battle for him to get fit. So on that basis, I think if it had been slightly earlier, it definitely would have been company. But I just think, you know, the version that we're talking about was maybe a little bit sort of physically hobbled at times just by yeah. those injury problems. He, he was also very lucky to stay on the pitch in a game, yeah. was, of course, at the time. That's, one, that's probably the only real sort of horror moment, in inverted commas, I can actually think of during his very impressive Man City career, to be fair. Yeah, I think it's the marker of of the best defenders, really. When you just you can't really recall many errors, and you don't expect you don't look at them and say you know they might have one in them. They they just seem a little bit robotic like that. I think company definitely has that. The reason I've gone for Laporte is that I think there was a period there. I know he doesn't play for City anymore, but there was a period in his prime when it was sort of him and Van Dijk. I think out on their own as the best in the division, and obviously you know Van Dijk was ahead of Laporte, but just in terms of that player who was, you know, who had this air when he was at his best of luck and almost invincible at times. I think, you know, he was the one. And he was actually someone who was on Liverpool's shortlist, I think, when they went for Van Dijk in terms of alternatives and things like that. And you can see why. Um, I think, obviously, things kind of petered out for him a little bit. But when he was at his best, I think he was absolutely world-class um, as well. So I think he's sort of the one who's come closest in this area to get into the Van Dijk level, so a worthy partner. Liverpool, I don't think, have anyone who's kind of done it consistently enough, whether for fitness or other reasons, to kind of be in there. Ruben Diaz, obviously, a former Premier League player of the season winner. But my problem with him is that I think he's a little bit too aggressive for my liking, where I think if he played for Liverpool, it's not necessarily the style of defender that he'd want. And it'd be interesting to pair him alongside Van Dijk because you've got someone who's very sort of aggressive and, and combative in their style. And then Van Dijk, who's all about sort of not engaging and and sort of being quite withdrawn. So it'd be an interesting contrast, but for, for me, it should be Laporte. Um, so we'll leave the, the defence there then and move into midfield. Um, Jamie, what's your midfield three, or, or I suppose midfield two, as it might be? It is a two, and it's a all Manchester City two, as much as it pains me. Uh, I've gone with Rodri and Kevin De Bruyne. And Dan, what about you? What have you gone with? 
Yeah, I've gone with midfield three, of course, of Rodri, Kevin De Bruyne and Genie Wijnaldum. So I'm kind of halfway between here because I've obviously gone for a three, but like Jamie, I've got I've got all Man City and I tried my best to work a Liverpool player into this, um, <laughs> but I just couldn't really justify it in the end. So obviously I've got um, Kevin De Bruyne, I've got Rodri, and then I've gone for, I mean, the last midfield position I thought was probably the hardest to pick in the entire team, but I've gone for Gundogan for that um, as my sort of third man in there. So we don't really need to, to talk about Rodri and De Bruyne. I suppose it's worth just mentioning Fabinho. Jamie, why have you sort of left him, left him out of the side? Because he was obviously world-class when he was at Liverpool. No, absolutely. Um, I think our, our, our remembering of, of Fabinho is so tainted by his last season that, that I think myself and a lot of other Liverpool supporters have forgotten that he was the best in, in the world in his position for a good at least two years. Uh, and I remember when Rodri first joined City thinking, oh, I didn't want to go too soon, but just feeling like this guy is kind of levels below our one. Uh, our one of those. Obviously, they still had Fernandinho and all of that. Um, the reason I didn't go with him in the end is I now think Rodri is probably the best player in the world, probably, currently. Um, maybe Bellingham aside with the, the beginning of the season, if you want to go there. Um, and I didn't want him and Fabinho in the team. No slight on Fabinho, but to me, it didn't make sense, particularly if I've got a midfield too, to have two very holding midfielders. And so was umming and ahhing about putting Fabinho in, as I was with, with Gundogan as well. Um, I'm sure we'll get to that. But in the end, I think Rodri has been the best player in, in, in that position in the world for at least two years now. And as I said, I think he's probably the best player in the world. And so I couldn't have him and Fabinho. And he was always going to beat Fabinho. Mm. I'd say that's an extremely hot take, but at the same time, I think Rodri is probably the most important player in the world in terms of we saw obviously what happened when he came out of that City team recently. And just in terms of, you know, his position, really, I think you can make a case that that number six role is the most important in elite football. And he is the best at that. And he does just have this feel of the one player and City have had this remarkable ability to absorb injuries. I mean, the top of the league now, Kevin De Bruyne's barely kicked the ball. But Rodri feels like the, the one weak point, and that is maybe the ultimate compliment you can give him. The reason I kind of... And he's, he's, he's so much better in the world. It, it, the, the distance between number one and number two in that position is kind of Virgil van Dijk levels uh, mm. two, three seasons ago in terms of there is... There's the, the player who's second to him, I don't know who that is, maybe Declan Rice, whoever, yeah. is so far below his level that it's just astonishing. I'd agree with that, to be fair. I think Rice is is absolutely brilliant, but I wouldn't necessarily say he's, he's close to Rodri. Um, I'd have him over Fabinho because I think he's more complete. I think Fabinho is an exceptional ball winner um, and brilliant as a defensive shield, but Rodri brings to the role kind of a level of passing ability that Fabinho just couldn't really come close to, to be honest. So as much as I think it was kind of the hero of Fabinho, Rodri, Casemiro as the best in class in that position, I do think that in terms of the most rounded player there, it's clearly 
Rodri, so it should be him. And you mentioned Fernandinho there as well. I mean, mm. this is an indication of how sort of stacked this this squad is that we've got to pick from. I suppose that, again, we're talking about one of the best number sixes to play in the Premier League, and he hasn't really been able to get a look in. You know, it's probably third in the uh, pecking order there behind Fabinho as well. Um, the other position then we've got to discuss then, because, you know, De Bruyne is an absolute given. He's um, one of the best we've ever seen in the league, but is it's that last midfield position then. Dan, I want to read some of some of the names that kind of aside from Gundawan that were in consideration for this. I mean you got Bernardo Silva, Phil Foden, David Silva on the Man City side, obviously a couple more Liverpool players as well. Why is it that you went with Wijnaldum amongst that whole group? Yeah, not just because I didn't want an entire Man City midfield, um, I promise. Um no, you're right. And the names I've wrote some of the names I myself in, you just mentioned in there. Obviously, my list of non-inclusions includes um Ilkay Gundogan, incredible footballer, like incredible footballer. And more importantly than that, in terms of like what the kids will call clutch moments when it matters at the business end of a season, Gundogan was just phenomenal. He went to an entirely new level at the back end of seasons, uh, much to Liverpool and my disappointment. Um but the reason I went for Wijnaldum, I think Wijnaldum were guilty of sort of, we mentioned earlier on, sort of remembering Fabinho for what he ended up being at Liverpool, which was a shell of his former self, quite frankly. I think we're almost equally as guilty having underrated Gina Wijnaldum and just how brilliant he was as a footballer. And you used the word importance there for Rodri, which was absolutely spot on. But I think Wijnaldum was so, so important for Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp because... He just, he made everything tick, didn't he? And he often got, like, put down. I think you've just seen him described as, like, a ghost. That was always the tagline i seen across social media and stuff. But he was just phenomenal. It was very simplistic, a lot of what he did. But that was just because that's what Jurgen Klopp wanted him to do. He was a, a wonderful footballer. Like, we signed him from Newcastle, obviously. A bit of a goal and assist machine, really. And every time he went away on international duty, he turned back into that goal and assist machine. But... For Liverpool, we asked him to do something entirely different and he just did it so, so well. And I think in terms of balance in the midfield, he can provide balance to any midfield, any job you want him to carry out. He's the man for it. He's like that that Swiss army knife of a midfielder. He can do anything in any midfield. He can play the six if he wants to. He could be more advanced if he wants to. He could slot into the eight amongst these and just keep things ticking over. I honestly think he was brilliant. And the one praise we did give him on a regular basis was the fact he was always available, um, which was when you're in a midfield squad with navigators of this world, Oxley Chamberlain's of this world, you know, held you in a pretty high esteem anyway. But I just think we never gave him enough flowers, perhaps, during his Liverpool career. And then when he left the club, he ended up saying he didn't feel really wanted, which was a shame within itself. So, yeah, brilliant footballer, um, integral part of why we won everything during his time at the club. And like I say, I think we need to remember him more fondly than we do. And obviously we've got the night against Barcelona and stuff like that. So more proof of the fact that, like I say, when you do let him off the leash a little bit, he had a lot more to give. It's just he was very much a team player for Liverpool and he just just made things tick for us, honestly. And listen, in terms of the ability, you know, there's Bernardo Silva, David Silva, brilliant. But just in terms of that balance, like I mentioned earlier, I think he would be the perfect fit. Yeah, I think every team that wants to win a Premier League or a Champions League, or obviously in this case both, needs a player like Wijnaldum. Needs someone who isn't really 
going to get any headlines what they do but makes everything else around them function and um, so I, I definitely have no qualms with that pick I mean I look at it and I think you know if you've got if you've gone for Bernardo Silva or David Silva, I think, do you know what, fair enough. I mean, it's all very close between those players. I think it's a shame that we've seen Thiago injured so much because you think to yourself, you know, if he'd been injury-free, I think he'd have a very good chance of getting into this team. Um, but unfortunately, he's just not in contention because of how much he's been absent. But for me, I think Gundogan just about takes it in terms of the package that he brought, not only in terms of, you know, his attributes and things like that, but like you say, coming up with so many decisive moments than it in that period. Obviously, I think he was instrumental in sort of beating Liverpool to the league in 21-22 and, and then obviously City winning the treble last year. Um, I think he was just probably, of all the figures there, he was probably the most talismanic in, in, those, in those moments. I think, to be fair, Bernardo Silva, I kind of agonised over that one a little bit because as much as he's got a lot of enemies in the Liverpool fan base, I think he is an extremely irritatingly good player um, and the amount of sort of 10 out of 10, 9 out of 10 performances he's put in again in really big matches. I think he's going to go down among people who kind of know their stuff uh, within the game uh, as one of the biggest contributors to City success mm. as well. And to be honest, I think the fact that between us, we've only got one Liverpool player in there says a lot about how this rivalry has kind of been sort of a very technical midfield against more of a, a functional one. And I think it's interesting to think now that with players like Soberslime, McAllister, Kersus Jones, Graven Birch, is that now going to be more of an even keel in there? Is it is it going to be Liverpool are able to actually compete with City on their own terms as opposed to just trying to nullify their midfield as they've had to do in the past? That's going to be an interesting narrative to watch with this fixture, I think. But let's move on to the attack. I wouldn't be hugely surprised if we've all gone for the same selection here but um let's just see how it goes jamie i'll come to you first again please yeah neither would i i'm going salah harland money interesting and what about you dan yeah we've got a difference already um salah aguero money so i initially had aguero in mind um and i do think he's got a very strong longevity argument but I do think that I'll probably change now to, to Haaland um, and I, I, again it feels like a little bit of a, a cheat in the sense that he's only been there for that one season but that one season he scored 36 goals smashed the record um, for an individual season so I think I probably will just about lean towards him it's a big call down to, to go with Aguero still, why is it that you favoured him? Do you know what it's, yes, Haaland's robotic. And I, truth be told, I wrote Haaland down initially because it did just feel like the biggest no-brainer of all time. But then when I sort of deeped it over the course of the day, I thought we can't, again, a bit of a nostalgia merchant, merchant it sounded like here, but Sergio Aguero, like his numbers across such a long period of time were absolutely phenomenal. And we speak about sort of when it matters most. I mean... You know, albeit hopefully that title gets stripped. That QPR goal didn't really matter any more than that, did it? And Haaland, for all his crazy, crazy numbers, he hasn't got that yet, as he hasn't got those type of moments yet. And, you know, you might you could go for a whole career never having a moment like that. Of course you could. So that shouldn't really be a standalone factor. But I, I imagine at some point Haaland will have his, his Champions League winner or his, his goal in the last minute to win a Premier League or whatever it may be. But... Aguero consistently 
season in, season out, albeit it tailed off towards the end, of course, like it naturally does for all footballers, really. Um, just produced time and time again, and in the biggest of games, time and time again. Like he was a fawn in Liverpool side multiple occasions. I've seen a highlight just this morning of that ridiculous goal he scored from that freakish angle that time. And he was just, he was just inevitable all the time. I think he was honestly a brilliant footballer. Like, and you mentioned it there, Harlan's got one season's worth of evidence, again, albeit freakish evidence, you know, never before seen type numbers he's producing, of course. But yeah, I think. I just, and I also think, actually, if you've been told, I also think in terms of the team, Aguero would be a better fit because Haaland is incredible for that Manchester City side because he shoots them down to the ground. Like, he just needs to literally linger around that area and, and put the ball in the back of the net. Whereas I think certain teams need certain types of forwards. Like, I'm not entirely sure. He'd score goals, but we wouldn't get the same volume of goals in this Liverpool team because we just operate so much differently. Um, so yeah, I think as an all-round package, I think Aguero might be the better fit, and he produced crazy goal numbers season in season out. So yeah, a little bit of nostalgia, um, a little bit of you know memories of what he used to do and haunt us. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't go with Haaland mainly based on the fact that it's just one season. Yeah, and I think that is fair enough. I mean, Aguero is right up there in the all-time Premier League goal chart. And I think when it comes to goal-scoring rate among those players who were in that echelon, I think, like like you've kind of touched on there, Dan, he's sort of out on his own. I think he's got sort of an insane strike rate in terms of minutes per goal over his career, really. Um, so I definitely see the uh, the merits of that one and the thinking behind it. I mean, I think the interesting thing with Aguero is that off, off the top of my head, he didn't have the best record at Anfield. But then no. when... Didn't. When Liverpool went to City, he seemed to score every single time. Um, so he was a bit of a, he was someone who kind of haunted Liverpool, like you say. Not sure we ever scored at Anfield, to be honest. I feel like there was maybe once in like a League Cup semi-final or something like that. Um, maybe the year uh, Liverpool won it under dog leash. I think, I think they played City in the semi, and I vaguely remember Aguero scoring in that. Um, I might be completely wrong, but. I feel like there was one instance where he scored and then it was always brought up as that time Aguero yeah, scored yeah. at Anfield and then he's not scored since. So, very wild contrast with that one. Um, obviously, you know, Salah's had his iconic moments as well against Man City, as has um, Sadio Mane. So, you've got a front three who all certainly thrived on this occasion. And to be fair, you've got a backup. You know, for your backup attack, you could have someone like Sterling, Firmino and Sane as your front three as well. So, that I think that just shows you Again, how much talent there was to choose from. Um, Sane, incidentally, probably one of my sort of favourite non-Liverpool players of the era. And, and maybe if he'd stayed a bit longer, he'd have had a better chance of getting in the team. But obviously, it ended a bit uh, prematurely for him, you'd have to say. But yeah, I think we've had a sort of a decent amount of um, of disagreement there. Whilst obviously recognising the players who were completely undroppable in, in those sides. So... We will leave it there uh, for this episode. Thanks very much, Jamie and Dan. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening. If you have enjoyed it, please do give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Give the podcast a follow as well and press the notification button. And remember, you can email us with the address that is in the episode description. We'll obviously be back at the weekend after the Man City game for the match reaction, obviously the biggest game of the season so far. So make sure you join us for that. But until then, take care.